cry, cry baby. I, I'm actually pretty crusty, so I'm not sure. All right. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, the title of the message is, This is My Story, This is His Story. I've sort of subtitled this, A Scripturally Infused Memoir. And I think that'll become more clear. In fact, there's some themes. Professor Tibbetts mentioned the word. I I think we didn't plan that, actually, and it'll become more clear. Um, It's, I think, a hopeful story. If if you say, again, what are your goals? I would like you to come out of here today with a sense of hope, that God has a plan for you and your future, and you can trust him in it. If there's nothing else that you get out of this, that's that's what I'd like. And honestly, my message message as I thought about it last week hasn't changed. I realize we've had things happening in our community this week, things that we're going through, but my message hasn't changed. I think it's still relevant. So um, it's an optimistic story. I'll use some metaphors, some illustrations and things. Um, Your story is not the same as my story, but sometimes our stories rhyme. And so my hope is in the rhyme of our stories, you find some sense of encouragement. I, it's a, sort of obligatory that we need to at least share a little bit about our families. I, I do have four kids. Two of them are in here today. And, uh, and that's all I'll say because, I mean, they deserve to have lives aside from me. Um, and I have one who graduated uh, with a degree in engineering. And he, honestly, he's like an engineer, a theologian. So, I mean, integrating faith, life, work together, I think, in unique ways. My youngest is 10. She declared her NCU major at the age of 8. Pray for us. Um, my wife, Carrie, here, here's, here's a photo. My wife, Carrie, and I, on Saturday, will celebrate 28 years of marriage. Yes, 28 years. That means she, she, she is long-suffering. So, so that's us relatively recently, and then us back in the day when we were young, dumb, and in love. We're still in love. Hopefully, we're not quite as dumb as we maybe were or, uh, we've learned a few things. Now, okay, so I'm, I'm going to share a story. Again, this is my story. This is his story. And honestly, part of this is Carrie's story. My wife, Carrie, I, in my classes, I've heard her as my CPA. Um, she is, is a part of the story. Honestly, if she was here, she'd probably tell it differently. Because even if you experience the same story together, sometimes your perspectives of it are not exactly the same. So um, she's actually at work with one of her clients today, and uh, she wishes she could be here with us. We have some actually folks from Emmanuel Christian Center here today. It's, it's just exciting. Yeah, actually, part of my small group. Hey, we, we support one another. Okay, so I'm a, I have a, an illustration here, and I, coming up in a few weeks, you have the Academy Awards. This is not an actual Academy Award. It's like a cheap thing that you can get off of Amazon. All right. Um, but in a few weeks, we have Academy Awards. And I think of, you know, the, the Academy Awards, you think about it, this is recognizing excellence in filmmaking and such. And to, in your field, in any field, to have people recognize you as the best in your field is an honor. And if you watch the Academy Awards, probably the most prestigious parts of those awards the most prestigious awards themselves come at the very end of the show. So you have best picture, best director, an actor in a leading role, an actress in a leading role, and you have supporting actor, supporting actress. So the, the lead actor, the lead actress, to get that award, you are, the story's about you or you're representing a major component of the story. The supporting actor or actress um, is, is, it plays a significant role, but it's more of a support role. 
oftentimes critical, but support. Here's the analogy. In my life, I've learned that in my own story, I'm not the lead actor. I am at best, and this isn't denigrating my role, it just, it, this is how God created me, to be a supporting actor. And in your story, God's called you to be a supporting actor or actress. And even if you look at you know, uh, Matthew 25, where the master in the parable says, well done, good and faithful servant, what I really envisioned him saying is, well done, good and faithful servant, here's your best uh, supporting actress award. Well done, good and faithful servant, here's your best supporting actor award. Now, say, well, okay, that's, that's interesting theology, interesting uh, biblical imagery, but here's a practicality of it in my life, is that when I place myself, and I have this tendency, and I think we all have this tendency, to place myself in that lead actor role or that lead actress role, you'll feel tension, discomfort, because you're trying to assume a role that God has not created you to assume. And so, in, in each of our lives, that tension, how it expresses itself may be different. Mine, and I know this about myself, and you should honestly get to know yourself enough to identify these, these checkpoints. In my life, if I, I get anxious. I get anxious. And, and the anxiety kind of shows up at 3 or 4 in the morning as I'm thinking about my day, my, you know, things I have going on, and my mind is spinning, and it's spinning, and spinning, and I'm anxious about things, and, it, and oftentimes it shows up at 3 or 4 in the morning. If I see that happening in my life, what I know is I'm trying to assume a role to which I was not called. God calls me to bring all of my excellence, but trust him with the results as the lead actor. And there's an there's a, there's a ability within that to have a sense of freedom. But also you get to lean in on strengths and abilities that you don't have yourself. So this is not, again, a lesson that I just happened upon. It's a lesson that I learned in my life. At one point, well, who in here, at least at some point in your life, you memorized the scripture as part of a church program? Anyone here? That's a decent number. I did as well. Um, at one point, well, if, if you have young kids, particularly like grade school kids, they like to swap roles. So, you know, if they're in school, they like to play teacher. So, so my, my kids, you know, in church would be uh, memorizing Bible verses, and they have a leader who would listen to them, so it was sort of in this listening role, prompting them if they maybe messed up or kind of helping them with if they needed prompts. And so one day with my oldest, um, I sat him down and I said, hey, Let's swap roles. You can be the listener. So he gets to be the adult as a young kid. He gets to be the adult, and I'll recite to you. And I want you to at least not open, honestly, in this case, not open your Bibles. I'm going to read, I'm going to recite a little bit of Scripture. I'll abridge a little bit, but I just want you to get the sense of this. So I sit down with my son. He's excited. I open my Bible to Hebrews chapter 10. And I start at verse 32, and I say, the writer of Hebrews says, "Hold it! Oh, sorry. Remember those earlier days after you received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecution, and at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property, because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence." it will be richly rewarded. You need to do the will of God so that when you've done that will, you receive what he has promised. Skipping forward a little bit into chapter 11, many of you know this verse, maybe in different versions. Now therefore, 
Faith, uh, sorry. Now faith, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered, a better, uh, offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offering. And by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this world so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as a, as a person of faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because in order to please God, we must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he, be, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, at some point in this story, my son said, Dad... How much are you going to recite? I said, no, no remember, we're, we're having fun here. Um, we're, we're swa- we, we, we've swapped roles here. Okay, the, you get to be the listener, you get to be the adult, and I'm reciting scripture to you. We're, we're changing roles here, son. Um, so let, let's continue. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a land he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made the, his home in the promised land, Like a stranger in a foreign country, he lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, he was enabled to become a father. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as countless as the sands on the seashore. It continues, and it talks about how he sacrificed, prepared to sacrifice Isaac, It talks about, by faith, Isaac, by faith, Jacob, by faith, uh, uh, Joseph, and continues, by faith, Moses' parents uh, hid him for three months after he was born because they knew that he was no, they saw that he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than all the treasures in Egypt. It continues and talks about the fact that they, by faith, they left the promised land. By faith, they kept the Passover. By faith, they went through the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell when the people marched around them for three days. By faith, the prophet Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And my son at some point says, Dad, are you going to recite the entire Bible? Like, don't be silly. I'm not going to recite the entire Bible. Okay, let's continue. Um, but thankfully, the writer of Hebrews actually does abridge, as I've done a little bit here. He says, um, I don't have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and received the things promised. They quenched the, or the, sorry, they shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames, their weakness was turned to strength. They became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. It continues and talks about how they uh, went around in sheepskins and goatskins and mountains and holes and caves in the ground. They did not see the things promised. They only saw them and recognized them from a distance. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off the sin that so easily entangles and anything that hinders, and let's run with perseverance the race marked off for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, 
scorning at shame, and he sits down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such, uh, such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And I stopped. And in the history of parenting, it might have been the worst moment ever because that child has never agreed to listen to me recite scripture ever again. Here's the thing. I think there's many reasons why we might choose to memorize scripture, at least four. Um, we're an academic institution, and academically, you memorize things. This semester, you'll probably memorize things. Faculty may ask you to memorize things. Um, that's one of them. I, we memorize scripture because uh, someone may have told us to. I memorized my first Bible verse at the age of eight. I chose the one that was the shortest available to me. And, uh, but, but, but I did it because someone said, hey, you ought to. You should memorize scripture. So sometimes we do it as an academic exercise. Sometimes we do it because someone says maybe you should. Sometimes we memorize things, not just scripture, but maybe inspiring quotes or uh, anecdotes because it, in, it, it encourages us or inspires us. And so, I mean, I could cite from Robert Frost and, and Jane Austen and J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, different things that I find interesting, inspiring, encouraging. Uh, that, and that's maybe partly why I have this section of scripture decently memorized. But honestly, there's a fourth reason. And um, sometimes you memorize things just out of a deep act of survival. And I, at one point in my life, I just went through a period of time where it was just dark and I read this passage of scripture, I'm not exaggerating, every single day for six months straight, at least six months straight, as an act of survival. In fact, uh, uh, J.I. Packer uh, has uh, this quote. Let's put that on the board here. We, we have a quote. Oh, actually, sorry. Um, yeah, sorry, I, I actually skipped my slides. That's, that's why I messed with them. Um, so J.A. Packer says that the Bible is a rope that God provides us to ensure that we remain connected while the rescue is in progress. And here's the reality is that I have been rescued, I am being rescued, and I have this promise that God will continue to rescue me. I never arrive in my life, and you never arrive in your life. There's never a point in our lives where we are outside the need of rescue. But the reason why, honestly, this passage of Scripture is so... Uh, what's so pivotal for me is that I reached a, I was at a point in my life where this, this, this imagery of a rope to a drowning person seemed not just figurative, but it felt real. Because it's like I'm treading water in deep water, and my, my, my chin is at that water line, and I'm holding on for dear life. And every day, I'm reading by faith, by faith, by faith, and God is using that in me to get me to the next day, to give me a little bit of light. And out of that time period, my life verse, or I describe it as a life verse, uh, became Hebrews 10.23. And Hebrews 10.23 just, I think, sums up this entire passage, that we can hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, that he who promised, God who promised, is faithful. In times of darkness, I realized that, or at least I recognized, even though I didn't feel it and I didn't see it, and it was really a statement of faith and, and a trust in God, that God, you have plans for me, you have a future for me, you're going to do things. I don't know what they are now, I don't like what I'm seeing, but I can trust you in it. Let me do a quick poll here. Okay, so I'm um, changing gears just a bit. Does anybody in here like parades? And by parades, I mean you know Thanksgiving Day parade, Christmas Day parade, you know New Year's Day, you know Rose uh, Rose uh, Bowl parade, Fourth uh, of July parade. Is anybody here? You're like I like a good parade. Like, hold them up, hold them up, hold them up, hold them up. I just want to see, I just want to see a whole bunch of people that I don't understand at all. 
Because honestly, oh, Tibbetts is a parade guy. Oh, man. I, I should have known. Um, I don't, I, I, honestly, I don't like parades. And maybe it's my sense of control. I'm always wondering when the thing's going to end. And it seems like if there's a corner that you have a, you know, maybe a float coming around, I'm like, is that the, the last one? Oh, crud, no. There's another one and another one. And, and I just, again, maybe it's a sense of control. If I was sitting in, an, uh, in, in a helicopter overlooking the parade and I could see the beginning, middle, and the end, maybe I'd react to parades a little bit differently, but I just don't like sitting there wondering when the thing's going to end, honestly. <laughs> and, and, and here's what I, I encounter in my own life. Here's what I encounter in my own life that sometimes I like what's in the parade of my life, sometimes I like what's in front of me, and sometimes I don't. And at times you hit these periods where it may be, here's a float, and here's a band, and it's playing a, a, a melody that I don't want. And here's another float that's something that I don't like. I'm wondering, God, when is this going to end? And the recognition that I have is that in the parade of my life, while I may not see the whole thing, God does, and I can trust him in it as that lead actor. So... I'm in graduate school, and it's a Saturday, and actually I have a finance exam later in that afternoon. So on a Saturday morning, my wife and I are in bed asleep, and I'm honestly kind of half awake thinking, I really should get up and study. None of you have ever been there. Well, I'm thinking I should get up and study, and we get a call on the phone, and the call on the phone tells us on a Saturday morning, March 19th, and yes, we did have exams on Saturdays and Sundays in my graduate school. Um, on a Saturday, March 19th, we get a call that my father-in-law had killed himself. And I just tell you, it, it, uh, we held each other. Life was a blur. It's impacting. Not, not, not everybody reacts to the same thing, same circumstances in the same ways. And... But it pushed us kind of over the edge into what I call a funk. Now, there was a couple of other things that went on at the same time. So we were dealing with that. At the same time, my dad was leaving my mom to marry someone that he had an affair with. And so I described it at the time, or the way it felt to me was like, Carrie's dad was dead, and mine was alive, but he felt dead to me. That my life, what I thought my family was, my dad was a leader in business, in the community, in the church, and everything that I saw as my foundation was just kind of wiped out from under me. So Carrie's dad was dead. My dad uh, was dead to me. And on the campus, it was fairly hostile to faith. I was editor of a publication. I wrote an Easter article that was not well-received. And I just daily, I got this, these needles and, and criticisms for being a person of faith, which normally would kind of bounce off me. I, I have a decently thick skin. But honestly, when I was dealing with Carrie's dad and my dad, and you just add one more thing to my plate, it, it threw us into a funk. Or I, I described it as a funk. I later learned it was depression. And you'd say, well, in fact, it took me about six to eight months to learn it was depression. You'd say, yeah, Professor Sobey isn't that smart. Uh, sometimes in the middle of things, you just don't see them that clearly. And so I described it as a funk, because that's the language I, I just, I, I, it's only, I say, this is the way I feel. I have trouble caring about things. The things that used to give me pleasure no longer do. I just, and I can't seem to snap out of it. But six months later or so, I'm riding in my car, and I'm listening to the radio show, and for, I don't even know what the show was. They were talking about depression, and I heard them kind of go down through characteristics of depression. And mentally, I just 
you know, was checking them off in my head, like me, 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 fatigue, decreased energy, excessive sleeping, loss of interest in things you once uh, found pleasure in, persistent, sad, empty feelings. I'm like, me, me, me. I'm like, I'll be darned. I've been depressed. That's, that's, uh, I've been calling it a funk. And, and honestly, it was, it, at this point, I was starting to come out of it. And it was really only as I was coming out of it that I think I could begin to see it clearly. Now, here, here's the thing. And, and I don't know, if, uh, Hebrews uh, 10, 23, again, became my life first. And I was trusting in this. But God, during this time, was faithful. And he did what, what I describe as he provided grace and mercy at the points where I most needed it and least expected it. And honestly, to this day, that's the way I pray a lot. If I hear something or you, I'm down front, you come and ask me to pray for you. I, honestly, that's the way I pray. I pray out of my experience. That actually comes from Scripture. That come, also comes from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4, verse 16. So that we can come boldly to our thro- the throne of our gracious God and we'll find grace and we'll find mercy when we need it most. And I found that God did this for me. And sometimes it seemed like little bits of mercy, and sometimes it seemed like a whole, like a big load of mercy kind of in one thing. Yeah, small things. Um, my wife and I were watching TV one night, and uh, a friend of mine actually from college was a host of this Christian program, and she was interviewing a Christian artist uh, that we liked whose band member had committed suicide. And this Christian artist was talking about how he was wrestling with it, and he said, I... I had this range of feelings, and at times I find myself saying, I love you, and I miss you. And he said, at other times, I feel like I am saying, I am so angry with you, how could you do this? And he said, and then I feel guilty because I feel that way. And Carrie said, yes, that's it. That's how I'm feeling. And there's a little bit of grace when someone puts into words things that you couldn't have put into words yourself. And they tell you that what you're feeling is normal, and you're not alone, and you're not the only one. And she, in that moment, simple thing, but God orchestrated a little bit of grace to help her heal and move on. I was part of a business fellowship on campus, and we had gotten a speaker on campus to speak. And there was one day, I, I probably in this time period, it was my lowest of the lowest. It just, I probably endured some conversations um, equating Christians with the KKK and the and Nazis. It, sometimes the discussion on campus and criticisms of those of faith had really highbrow you know, tendencies. And again, so I'm, I'm at my low, and we had the speaker on campus. He had actually built a, mil- he had a bunch of Bible school buddies that built a multi-million dollar business, the largest trading company, uh, commodity trading company in the world. And we brought him in to speak about how he made millions and enjoyed giving them away. And so I'm at my lowest. We've got this talk. And then after the talk, he says you know, to a bunch of us, hey, let's go to dinner. And he said, is there a place we could go? And we'd like this, this Thai Vietnamese place called Mama San's. We said, hey, let's go to Mama San's. So we did. And, I, and I'm no kidding. I called Carrie immediately. I'm like, Carrie, I know you're at work. Get to Mama San's. And there's a dozen of us sitting around a table at Mama San's, eating Thai food, passing the plate, sharing with one another, I don't know that there was a spiritual conversation there, but God produced a sense of healing and grace and mercy to me that I can't explain. At times, gathered around the table with other people. And again, I hadn't planned it that day. It was the day I needed it, and God just gave me that little bit of grace. This is the God that we have. Um, over the next uh, time period, we would, um, I, Lars and Leslie, good friends of ours, we do a lot of half-price appetizer, half-price uh, buffalo wings after 10 o'clock. Lars and I could eat through a 50-piece uh, bucket of wings at half-price. 
I gained 30 pounds uh, that year. I'm not kidding. I went from a 140 to 170, so uh, I was maybe like a normal weight after that year, but um, I was a little thin uh, prior to that. But, but, but we ate a lot. And honestly, this semester, I'll encourage some of you, you can, I, you can expect and pray to receive God's grace and his mercy when you need it most, but some of you need to be grace and mercy to others. And truthfully, it may be in something as simple as taking them out to Applebee's after 9 o'clock for half price appetizers. That can be around a table of people, even if your conversation is about the latest thing you binged on Netflix, God can work through those experiences where believers gather together around the table. I had a, a staff member from InterVarsity Christian Fellowship who met with me every single week for that year. He went through kind of how, he, he really coached me and mentored me on what it is to be a son. When sometimes your parents, how do I honor my parents when they don't always do honorable things and, and stuff? And so we worked through things. It was a number of years before I'd have kids, and he, he really taught me how to be a dad. And so he just invested me, invested me, invested me. And we came out of that program, and I graduated, and I went to work for a consulting firm in Washington, D.C. Honestly, we were energized. I'd gone on uh, uh, planting uh, trips to Cornell and Carnegie Mellon universities to plant Christian groups on those campuses over, you know, over that year, that, that following year. So God was doing things in us in an amazing way. I would say prior to that point, Carrie and I were following God, but we were self-focused, self-centered. We were kind of newly married, kind of figuring this whole thing out. And God re completely reoriented our priorities. If you ask, why am I at North Central today? Why do I do things that I do? Why on a Sunday morning will you find me at Emmanuel Christian Center in Lobby One? Just come and visit me. It's, it's, unless I'm out of town, uh, that's where I'll be. We'll be serving. Is because God richly changed and transformed my life. I entered a consulting firm, and at that consulting firm... Um, at the consulting firm, I started three Bible studies. Now, I'm mostly an introvert. And honestly, to this day, I'm not 100% sure how I started three Bible studies as an introvert at the same company. Other than to say that sometimes God completely transforms and revolutionizes your life. He is so faithful and merciful in ways that you don't expect. He just upends your life in such a powerful way that it just has to flow out in some way. And so at my firm, people would advertise happy hours, and I advertised Bible study. And I got snarky, negative responses, admittedly, but I got a bunch of good responses. And so I, I would meet with a group of Christians at my workplace. We would actually meet at Brugger's Bagels in the morning before work and encourage one another. So that was Bible study one. The second Bible study came about because one of those coworkers said, I've been, I've been witnessing to this guy named Travis. He works on my team. He seems really interested in the gospel. But Sean, you seem like you are better at this whole evangelism thing than I am. Could you meet with them and maybe you know, talk to them about who Jesus is? I said, sure. So I met with Travis, and I found, man, this dude was further along than, than, than she even thought. Travis was on board, ready for this Jesus thing. I want to follow Jesus. He's wondering, how in the heck do I do that? And so honestly, Travis and I just opened up the Gospels. And he was like a sponge. And we just talked who Jesus was, what it means to follow him, what it means to live the Christian life. And it was a lot of fun. He got married to another Christian at, on, at our uh, firm. Uh, they live in Virginia, uh, sorry, in, in, uh, in Virginia and, and have kids and, and, and they're serving through their church. It's amazing. The third Bible study came about because I had a response that I didn't entirely understand. The response was this, which Bible? I'll bite, and, and so I asked, uh, well, what, what do you mean, which Bible? And it was an Orthodox Jewish co-worker who was wondering, are you talking about the Christian Bible or 
what he referred to as the Tanakh. We call it the Old Testament. They find that somewhat pejorative. Uh, but the, the, the Tanakh, the, the prophets, the writings, the history. And so we, I entered into a Bible study with Simcha. Simcha, his name means gladness, joy. We would meet every Friday morning at 6 o'clock. He would put on his kippah, his yarmulke on his head, and, he, and we would read through the Psalms, the Proverbs in, in Hebrew and in English. For two and a half years, we did this every Friday morning. I mean, in fact, my last Friday morning in Washington, D.C., before we moved here, I met with Simcha. And even to tell you how healing happens, my dad met with us that day before we moved. Healing happens even in, in, in that relationship. And Simcha was, pro- was part of a group called Jews for Judaism, which sort of tries to counter Jews for Jesus. Um, kind of evangelism attempts, and honestly, probably over two and a half years, he tried to convert me as much as I tried to convert him. But, you know, I'm not called to transform someone's life. I can't change a heart. I'm called to be faithful. And so Simca, even though his his name sort of means this idea of gladness, he he was very, um, he was kind of hard, kind of crusty, very analytical, not prone to humor, personality-wise, not necessarily jiving with me a whole lot, but there's something about sitting with someone across the table with his yarmulke, when occasionally we'd hit a portion of the psalms that they, they sing in, the, uh, in synagogue, and he would break into song, that God just filled my heart with a, a love and appreciation for him that can't be explained by natural affections. And so I continue to pray for Simcha, Here's the deal. I think God has called each and every one of you. That's why I'm here at North Central University. God has plans for you. You are his unique masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he has prepared in advance for you to do. I'm confident in this. And no matter what goes on in your life, you can trust him in the middle of this. Actually, I'll invite the team up here. I should have already. Um, We're going to actually end this time in worship. What I really wanted you to do as we ended this time together, was have an opportunity to just come before this great God, this God that we can hold unswerving faith in, and just worship him. Our prayer is that as we come before this God, who is unswervingly faithful, that he would pour into us that grace, that mercy, And this semester, and honestly, for the rest of your life, my prayer is that God would surprise you uniquely with grace when you need it, with mercy when you need it most. I don't know how he's going to do it. I can't orchestrate it. I don't think any human can orchestrate that. But that's the God we serve. Let's sing a little bit together.